Hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the lovely podcast, The Endurance of Labor Laws. I am your lovely host, Leslie Sullivan. Today we're going to take a look at the American Postal Workers Union. So let's go ahead and get started. It was founded July 1st, 1971. It is headquartered in Washington, D.C. It has one location in the United States. It has 330,000 members. The president is Mark Diamondstein. They are affiliated with AFL, CIO, and UNI. So let's go ahead and start on this one. It says the American Postal Workers Union, APWU, is a labor union in the United States. It represents over 200,000 employees and retirees of the United States Postal Service who belong to the clerk, maintenance, motor vehicle and support services divisions. It also represents approximately 2,000 private sector mail workers. I did not know that, so I learned something new with that. goes on to say postal workers in the United States first won a collective bargaining rights after the US postal strike of 1970 which we have discussed in a previous podcast in regards to USPS two organizations of postal clerks emerged in the 1890s they merged in 1899 into the United National Association of Post Office Clerks also known as UNAPOC it was too conservative for the AFL that's concerning which in 1906 sponsored the National Federation of Post Office Clerks NFPOC which soon surpassed the UNAPOC NFPOC grew from 16,000 members in 1922 to 36,000 members in 1932 and nearly 50,000 by 1940 it did not engage in strikes but spent much of its efforts in opposing hostile congressional legislation it makes me wonder what they were having a tip about with congressional legislation because that concerns me when when uh, labor unions think they know more than the american people or one of the three branches of government because they are not the government they're just a union additional rivals were formed in the 1930s but the first serious rival was the national postal clerks union npcu that began in 1958 by 1970 the npcu had reached a membership of 80,000 Merger discussions dragged on for years until finally the NFPOC, UNAPOC, the National Postal Transport Association and others merged in 1961 as the United Federation of Postal Clerks. In 1971, five unions combined into the American Postal Workers Union. They were the United Federation of Postal Clerks, the National Postal Union, the National Association of Post Office and General Service Maintenance Employees, the National Federation of Post Office Motor Vehicle Employees, and the National Association of Special Delivery Messengers with a combined membership of 280,000. On August 20th, 2007, the previously independent National Postal Professional Nurses merged with the APWU. As a result of this merger, the members of the NPPN were granted membership in the support services division of the APWU the NPPN APWU represents over 90 occupational health nurses who are employed by the postal service this 2007 merger was the first merger of any postal unions in the United States since the US postal strike of 1970 goes on to say on July on Thursday July 30th 2009 The Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee voted 12 to 1 in favor of S1507, Postal Service Retiree Health Benefits Funding Reform Act of 2009, which would provide financial relief to the Postal Service. I don't agree with that. They need to be they need to be financially responsible for themselves. 
An amendment offered by Senator Tom Coburn, Republican of Oklahoma, requiring the arbitrator to take into consideration the financial health of the Postal Service when deciding postal union contracts was added prior to its passage. Senator Joe Lieberman, chairman of the Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Government Affairs, and Senator Tom Carper, chairman of the subcommittee on federal financial management, government information, federal service and international security supported the amendment and voted with committee republicans for its adoption. The American Postal Workers Union, National Postal Mail Handlers Union, the NALC and the NRLCA have all voiced opposition to S1507 with its inclusion of the arbitrator amendment. I'm not surprised because USPS has this attitude that they're above it all, they shouldn't have to report to anybody and they could just spend whatever monies they want. That's not how a normal business is run, but unfortunately because they are under the branch of the federal government, they tend to act like they are the end all and be all when they're not, especially when it comes to unions. American Postal Workers Accident Benefit Association, so we're going to talk about this for just a moment. The association was organized as a fraternal benefit society for railway clerks by five men in Portsmouth, New Hampshire in 1898. That concerns me that it was started as a fraternal benefit society when everything it, it deals with a fraternity that always gets my attention and I'll circle back to that in just a moment. The original name of the association was the National Association of Railway Postal Clerks. The name of the society was changed to Railway Mail Association in 1904 and the National Postal Transport Association in 1949. In 1961, it became the United Federation of Postal Clerks Benefit Society. It adopted its present name in 1972. Membership is open to all members of the American Postal Workers Union who are employed as postal workers. In 1979, There were 23,000 members in 604 local branches. Branch meetings are held concurrently with meetings of the American Postal Workers Union. In addition to insurance benefits, the APW, ABA sponsors blood banks, Boy Scouts troops, conducts drives for community and medical research funds, and visits sick and disabled members. I kind of find that suspicious. I'll circle back to that in just a moment. The highest authority is the National Convention, which meets twice a year. headquarters or in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. There is a brief initiation ritual that gets my attention in which the candidate pledges to support the US Constitution. I kind of don't buy that because they don't believe that the laws apply to them, the USPS much less these different uh unions. The laws of the society, they act like they're above society and that we that we are reporting to them and they're not reporting to us even though it's our tax dollars that keep them afloat. Let's see the laws of the society become acquainted with the history of the society and defend its principles. I find that hard to believe because they think they're above they think their work is above everybody else's work when it's not. We're all equal. The candidate also pledges to quote be considerate to the widow and the orphan. I kind of find that a BS line. The weak and the defenseless also BS to defend freedom of thought and expression. That's BS. I don't believe it. And to promote the spirit of fraternity. That's very suspicious. There are no religious elements in the ritual. SBS. If if it's already a ritual, then it's already a type of religion. It's it reminds me of the Masons, which is a cult. Though the regular order of business includes provisions for an invocation. Again, that's more religious. In 1979, the American Postal Workers Accident Benefit Association, quite a long name, was a member of the National Fraternal Congress of America. 
However, it does not appear on the current list of members of the Congress, now known as the American Fraternal Alliance. Okay, so I want to circle back to some things that got my attention. So, first of all, whenever you have I'm always suspicious of anything that claims to be fraternal because I personally don't really trust fraternities. Uh because it reminds me of the <clears throat> the Masons and also all these different brotherhoods and things like that. What they tend to do is they claim to be good people and they might be, but they they found their organizations on kind of a religious manner. They try and bring God into it most of the time. And what they do is they set their organization up as better than other people. So it's like it's like favoritism because it is. So they're making it seem like their members are better than other people that are outside their fraternal organization because that's truly what they believe. When in fact, we know that's not true. All labor is equal. It doesn't matter if you're in a ritual or a fraternal labor union or a fraternity or an association. All labor is equal in the United States. That doesn't mean your pay is going to be equal because that would be fascism and communism and we don't want that because we know both those types of government are very hostile to the free market, they're hostile to democracy and they are hostile to capitalism, meaning they don't like it, they don't agree with it and they just want to give themselves permission to steal your money whether you're a citizen or not. But the citizens of any country that go along with fascism or communism or socialism, they're always the ones that suffer. The people that are here illegal illegally do not really suffer as much as citizens that are legal because we are the ones who are predominantly paying the bills of this country, not the illegals and not the temporary workers. It just doesn't happen that way. Um it really got my attention when it says they have a brief initiation ritual. Again, that reminds me of the Masons. It also reminds me of other cults whenever they have some kind of initiation ritual because the fact that they have a ritual is kind of eye-opening because that tells me that they're kind of like a secret club even though they are a labor union um it's kind of like they're above other people and they think that we report to them when that that's not the case like it's it's one of those things if you've never um come across a cult before or some kind of ritual like that then maybe you don't understand what I'm talking about but whenever you have a ritual or some kind of initiation process like what this is talking about and you have a pledge you know your number one pledge when you were in the United States should be the pledge of allegiance and i remember we had to say that every day in school and this was in public school when i was a kid now that's not said anymore if it is i would be very shocked but here's the thing when you're pledging yourself to an organization technically they're making themselves number 1 and the US is number 2 well here's the thing if you don't pledge yourself to the united states if you don't pledge yourself to your country first then you don't have a country your country is not as stable as it could be you know the united states was not founded on any kind of initiation ritual we were not founded uh, by the masons we were not founded by any kind of cult we were founded by all different types of people from from europe that were escaping a very tyrannical almost fraternal monarchies i guess you could say and they came over to the united states because they want freedom they want a democracy So you have to be careful what kind of organizations you join because sometimes you know sometimes they just do these rituals and these initiation processes just to really properly vet you into the organization but it can also entrap you at times. So I would encourage you that if ever you are joining an organization doesn't matter whether it's in the private sector, public sector, religious sector, nonprofit, whatever it is, be careful what you're joining because 
it really matters what you say and what what you what you allow into your life and what oaths you're taking and also what does their constitution say a lot of these different organizations have have constitutions that represent what do they stand for and what do they believe in you know it's one of those things that you know it says right here their pledge says to be considerate to the widow and the orphan i don't believe that um maybe back in the day it they believe that because you know if this was started way back you know 1800s this would have been during a time kind of industrial industrial revolution times when there were a lot of on-site work accidents because most jobs were dangerous back then you didn't have OSHA and even if you did the work still had to be done back then like there were things that we kind of learned as we went along and so you know it was very common for women to be uh, widows and you had orphans because usually the man was the worker and men back then or jobs back then were very tough not everybody had a cushy office job it was actually quite quite rare for people to have a cushy office job most people had very laborious type of jobs hence you had a lot of widows and orphans so they may have pledged to take care of them but i've never heard of them actually taking care of widows and orphans um the weak and the defenseless that kind of reminds me of that document or that phrase um that corresponds to the statue of liberty and i don't like it when people say that they help the weak and the defenseless when i've never heard them actually do it of all the years i've never heard them actually do anything to defend freedom of thought and expression. I don't really believe that because this union, you know, considering that they went on strike and did not want to or these or these workers went on strike and did not want to deliver people's mail, um and they care more about their labor than someone else's labor, that tells me they care more about their thoughts and their freedom of expression than other people's, which means they don't really believe in freedom of thought and expression because if they did, they would not have gone on strike like that. See going on strike sometimes has a purpose sometimes it doesn't. But you know when it doesn't have a good purpose to me that qualifies as they're they're bringing potential harm and hardship to other people and they don't care because they're putting themselves ahead of somebody else when that's not the American way. And then the last line really got my attention when it said and to promote the spirit of fraternity. You know I was in college and you know what I don't remember a single fraternity, you know frats, you know guy houses kind of thing. that were actually that good. Um I'm not going to go into all the details of that, but you know there are fraternities, technically sororities are fraternities as well, they're just fraternities for women. But um in terms of like the Greek system of uh, universities, but whenever someone says they're trying to promote the spirit of fraternity, I don't always trust that. Because I would rather I would rather put my energy into supporting my country. not just some group that claims to do all these things when i haven't heard or seen any of them do this to do those kind of things and it says it has no religious elements in the ritual well then why are you calling it a ritual rituals are not um secular i guess is what i'm trying to say rituals typically are very much religious whether you are christian muslim cult a wicket you know whatever the case may be or if you're a mason which is technically a cult um so there is a religious element there so they can't really say that there's no religious religious elements in in the ritual when technically that's basically what it is like you're you're having someone get fully initiated into your organization as part of that religious ritual so you're kind of obligating yourself to an organization and it really kind of cements it is kind of is kind of thing. And I have no doubt that some people really enjoy doing that and that's that's great if that's what you enjoy and if you really believe in something that's awesome but 
you know, when I look at this and I read this, I don't really see how any of this has really been relevant to what they do. And I know a lot of people, and it's just it just doesn't always make sense what I'm reading here, because I have never really seen hardly any of this come to fruition in terms of the slavery union and what they supposedly do. I think it's kind of those things. It's just it looks good on paper, and this is another labor union where they're just aligning themselves with a cause. So it's kind of all those things where, and another thing I don't like is when labor unions, they just kind of pick up on a cause and they piggyback on it and make it seem like they're doing a lot for society when they're really not. And you know they do that because they want to be known. They want to be known as do-gooders. They want to, they want to get their name out there. And here's the thing, you know, if you how do I word this? Okay, so let's say for example, you know, you you meet a really rich person and their name is on everything. Like they donate to everything, you know, they're part of a foundation and their foundation is known for giving money to all these different groups, right? And their you know, their name is on a plaque, it's on a wall, it's on a building, it's on all this stuff. Well, to me, What I've noticed with that, and I didn't always have this opinion. This has just kind of grown over the years. The more I'm educated on this stuff, but what I've noticed is that whenever these really large foundations, sometimes they are, sometimes they are legitimate, but other times they're just donating to get more money. It's kind of one of those things they get their name out there, and when they donate and they sponsor something, they get their name put on something, and then people think, oh, well, they're good and kind because they gave all this money. And they're doing all this work, so technically it's free advertising whenever they're making a donation. Another thing that is kind of strange to me is that it's one of those things like, you know, like when I tithe to my church, I don't. The only people that know about are my, are the people that process my funds, that process my tithing check, and, and the other person is me, and they are the only ones that know how much I give. Like I don't put my name on a plaque, and they don't put my name on a plaque. I do it anonymously. I would think that if your work is really true, then you wouldn't have to have your name everywhere. And that's what I find interesting is that you know I always notice when there are certain organizations that their name is everywhere, all over in our community. Like I noticed that in Oklahoma City, like if there's a particular foundation that is just donating stuff all the time, or they're donating money all the time, their name is everywhere. I, I'm, I'm just kind of suspicious of that, and you know, they may be good and true, but I just Kind of read the writing on the wall with some of those things because it's like, how was it they're the only ones that are really donating? If that's true, and number two, how how where are they getting all this money, and do they have a board? Because what we've seen in the past is that a lot of board members are paid board members, so that tells me that they're paid to care, that they don't really care. Because back in the day, you know, there may be people listening to this that don't know this, but way back in the day, we're talking like 1900s and 1800s. But when you were on a board of a charity or you had your own foundation way back in the day, you were super wealthy and you didn't have to work. So that meant that if you were on these boards, you were not paid to be on a board. What I find interesting is that there are a lot of boards these days, especially with these nonprofits, which technically there is no such thing as nonprofit. Because everybody has to make money in order for their organization to function. So I really wish that we would not have nonprofits anymore, because everything is for profit. Because if you don't make money of some sort, then you you can't employ people and you can't help people. So I think that's kind of a lie when people say they're nonprofit, because I mean they they still need to file taxes like everybody else, and 
They get tax breaks that other people do not, which I don't agree with. And it's the same thing with these foundations. Sometimes these foundations, unfortunately, are used as tax havens for the super wealthy. And I'm not against the super wealthy. I think they're great. They pay a lot of the taxes in any country, for sure. But what I don't like is when foundations are used to just collect money and not really send that money where it needs to go. And I don't like it when board members are paid board members. Because think about it. If you're a board member, and let's say you are on six boards, and you get paid 50K a year per board that you're on, that is a lot of of money per year per board member okay like really think about that those are monies that should be going to the people that they're say that they say they are going to help so that's where i get a little suspicious with things like this because it just seems like it's all about the money and immediately it makes me think of greed immediately because it just seems like sometimes people just want to pat themselves on the back with stuff and it's like well you know I'm very picky where I donate my monies because I like to see things actually come to fruition. And I want to make sure that the right people are getting paid the right amount and that it's not just a slush fund for everybody else or or the few I should say. I need to reword that. That's not just a slush fund for the few because I've I've noticed that with some things and so that always kind of concerns me a little bit. Another thing that I found kind of odd is that when they conduct drives for community and medical research funds, I just wonder where all is the money really going because I've never heard cuz I mean I'm all into medical research, that's great because we need cures. Cures are beautiful and wonderful and they're gifts from God. But I've never heard of this union actually giving money or raising money for any community or actually giving money for medical research. I would want to know what which research funds did they help provide money for? and where those monies used appropriately. And I'll mention this in close. The reason why I'm a little suspicious of that is because sometimes these medical research funds they're not what you think they are. You know, really if you want to make a if let's say for example you're rich and you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking what is this woman from Oklahoma talking about? Well, here's what I'm talking about. If you're super wealthy and you want to make a big difference in this world and you want to help fund a cure, make a donation to a drug trial. go directly to the drug company and I would also invest in their stock if you can if that's legal I don't know but um cuz I wouldn't want you to get in trouble with something like that but what I would do is I would go directly to the to the researchers and directly support that because when you give to a foundation or some kind of fund you really have no idea where your monies are going they can make all these promises and here's another thing just because they have research people within the organization That doesn't mean those funds are actually going to that researcher's fund. It actually could just be going towards their paycheck. So if you're donating monies to a medical research fund, make sure it's actually going towards the actual medical research, not somebody's paycheck, not somebody's vacation, not somebody's yacht. Because I think that happens a lot. I've personally noticed that because I've I've had this this belief and this opinion. that we could have had cures and way more drug trials in the last two decades if monies had went where they were supposed to go because money does matter i am all for money i wish that everyone and anyone that is listening to this is a millionaire a billionaire a trillionaire if you're not then i pray that you quickly become one because you can do a lot with with your money you can do a lot of good money's not the problem 
Love of money is the problem. See, it, you have to manage your money, not your money manage you. And so I always get suspicious or it raises a red flag in my head whenever I see someone raising money for these different organizations and I just wonder, okay, who are they really helping? Are they actually helping the patient? Cuz I haven't met a single patient over the years and I meet a lot of people. I've had a lot of different jobs. I've worked as a manager, I've worked as an employee, I've worked as a volunteer. Of of all the hundreds of people I've met over the years, I've never met anyone that actually got financial help from any of these foundations as you say. But yet some of these foundations and these medical research groups get millions if not billions of dollars and then they claim to be nonprofit. So then they're not paying taxes like the rest of us do. Like they're taxed differently because they're quote unquote nonprofit. Well, I think that regardless of whether you are a charity or not, you should be taxed like everybody else. And I am a capitalist Republican saying this because I've seen people cheat the tax system. I've seen them cheat the law or they skirt the law or they get lobbyists to try and affect legislation or tr- or they get lobbyists to affect the IRS and their laws get stuff passed so they don't have to pay taxes like you and me like just regular citizens they they want their own special tax bracket well i'm sorry well actually i'm not but i'm sorry but that's not that's not right that's favoritism and nepotism and that's not the american way the american way is equality and freedom And you cannot have equality and freedom when you have favoritism. It doesn't work. It's like oil and water. They don't mix. They don't go together. Or oil and vinegar, whichever analogy you want to use. You know, you either are all or nothing with that because, you know, I feel like sometimes people they just cherry pick what they want, but they don't want to take on the full responsibility of what it means to protect freedom, to protect people's rights, and to protect equality within our country. I think sometimes people get a little too comfortable in their cushy job especially if they are a bureaucrat or maybe they're they're one of these people that's on a board and they get paid really good money but yet they're just there a name only they don't really do any work. I have yet to meet a board member that actually does any work. And I remember the last board member I met, I'm not going to say their name, I'm not going to say what board they're on. But they just show up, eat some bagels from Panera, have some fancy coffee. you know talk about this and that and it's not really serious but it's 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 a paid board membership or a paid board uh job or position and i just look at this person like you got to be kidding me you get paid that kind of money to do that like in my head i was thinking you know people on disability could do that if all they have to do is sit there drink coffee and eat a bagel with cheese on it or butter on it Why not have someone that's that's only getting paid $12,000 a year on disability? Why not have them be on those boards? Then they wouldn't be on disability. They would be making way more money. They could afford better insurance and they could afford better health care. But I guarantee you a lot of these boards they don't want the disabled on their boards because they don't view the disabled or veterans of this country. They don't view the disabled or veterans the same as them. because they think they're better than them because they think that I don't know how to describe it but when I met this last one it was like he thought he was all that in a bag of chips he's rich you're not he deserves it because he's quote unquote healthy 
And, you know, I just get so sick of that attitude because, you know, hey, it's great to be healthy, but get this, you're healthy until you get diagnosed with something. And technically, at some point, we were all going to get diagnosed with something, whether you like it or not. I mean, I just think it's the, the arrogance of this attitude, this I'm better than you, I deserve this, you don't, I'm part of a certain social class, you're not. And I just go, you know... The arrogance and pompousness of that. But see, here's the thing. There are board members that are Democrats and Republicans. So it's not just based from one party. I think people, sometimes people have too much of a love of money. And it becomes a problem. Because I truly do believe, and I've said this in a previous podcast, that if we really wanted to help people on disability, we should have them get high-paying jobs. Every single one of them. then they wouldn't be on disability and they would be paying taxes at a higher tax bracket so they wouldn't be poor they wouldn't have poverty and another thing i dare to say on this is that when you have the disability make more money it go directly to them not their relatives not their family members because what happens a lot and i can't stand this and i know i'm probably going to hear from some people about this and i can honestly say i don't care go ahead and write me but i'm just going to let you know i'm really not going to care what you think about this because i already know the truth about this because I've met people that what I'm about to say has happened to. So unfortunately, whenever people get a disability, sometimes their family members, if they live with their family, it doesn't matter whether it's a spouse or they're living with one of their kids or maybe, you know, they're living with their parents, you know, but they have to live with them, which, you know, that would be tough in itself, but um unfortunately, sometimes when people get a disability, their family members just want to use them for that government paycheck. So what they try and do is they try and get people on disability to have their disability checks go into their relatives bank accounts instead of their account and they try and push for like power of attorney and things like that i completely and utterly disagree with that because that that kind of evil greed disgusts me targeting the disabled or targeting veterans there are also veterans that get used for money whether it's their spouses or their family members or their kids or their relatives whatever the case may be you know what that person regardless of whether they're disabled or a veteran or both you know they have a social security number in the United States and their money's belong to them so they need to have their own bank account not have anybody else's name on it and it's up to them how they manage it cuz oftentimes what people will say they'll say oh the disabled are mentally inept the, you know veterans are mentally inept because of what they've gone through So they need to have somebody else be on their checks. They need to have somebody else be on the title to their house, which is a lie. That's a lie straight out of the depths of hell. Don't do that. Don't believe that. If your house belongs to you, keep it in your name. Don't do not put it in anybody else's house. Don't put any of your property um in anybody else's name. Don't put your house in anybody else's name. Because it belongs to you. It doesn't matter what's happened to you. whether you're disabled or a veteran or whatever the case may be your your life can always get better see cuz whatever you sign over to someone it doesn't matter whether they claim to love you or not and some people might actually love somebody but i look at it this way if i had a relative that was disabled or was a veteran it would never dawn on me to think i want their money in my bank account because i'm the one taking care of them it's all about me 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 that's what i've come across with people and it sickens me and it disgusts me I know this is a tangent but it's important because it comes down to this arrogance this attitude and I have found that that arrogance and that attitude problem 
with people that think they're better than other people. And it's not just when it comes to people that are having to deal with disabled uh, family members or spouses or children. It's not just in regards to how people treat our veterans. It's also um, it, within our labor unions. It's also uh, within pretty much the, the Democratic Party. I don't see it very much in the Republican Party. I'm not saying that's not there, but I just think it's more prevalent um, or more common in the Democratic Party because the Democratic Party, especially right now, with it being so liberal, it wants to turn the taxpayers into the government's uh, little personal slush fund and then have all these social welfare programs that we know pretty much never work and they almost always fail and they're not really affordable. Hence, USPS is not affordable. So, but there are also different occupations that are very snobby, and they think they're better than other people. One of them is USPS, and that's why their unions are like that. And it is a behavior problem. People don't want to say it, but it is true. And we know it's a behavior problem because they keep having the same issues when it comes to money. They have this, this arrogance that you owe me kind of thing. I deserve this. Well, no, you don't. Let me be the first to say, no, you don't. Like, things have to be manageable. Things have to be affordable. And someone else's rights don't trump other people's rights. You know, and that's the thing. And that's what I want to really, you know, swing on home here with this. Is that, you know, even if someone becomes disabled or if they're a veteran and, you know, they're having to go to the VA all the, VA all the time, it doesn't matter. They still have rights. They were issued a Social Security number. More than likely... They are an American if they're a veteran or if they're on disability. And they have the right to vote. They have the right to own property. They have the right to have a driver's license. There's all these rights. But sometimes when hardships happen to people, it's like the vultures swoop in. And I cannot stand that. So my point with this is that, you know, if there are going to be people that are going to be on boards, I say, Why not help the disabled or people that are veterans and are poor and have to go to the VA for to the VA for medical attention? Why not put them on all these expensive boards and have them get paid like 50k a year each one of them? Then they wouldn't be poor anymore and they would have access to excellent healthcare. Like if we really want to help people, if we really want to go the socialist route, why not find them really good jobs? Why not give them the high-paying jobs? I mean, the federal government has a mandate with, um, you know, like with new hire paperwork that they force employers to ask. It's quote-unquote voluntary, but it's really not. Um, they're forced to ask new candidates, people that they're hiring, do they have a disability? Do they identify as someone has a disability? Do they identify as a veteran? Do they identify as this? Do they identify as that? I mean, it's just back and forth, back and forth, all this stuff. It's like, and I just got to thinking about one of the last times I filled one out. I thought, you know, if the federal government really cared about all these people that's willing to know, are you this, are you that, then why aren't they helping them get the high-paying government jobs? Why not have every federal employee be someone that has been taken off a disability and just have them have a good federal job? Then they would have excellent health care. Then we wouldn't have to have them be on Medicare or Medicaid. And in the case of Oklahoma, they wouldn't have to be on Sooner Care, which we know is, I was going to say crap, but I'm trying to work on my language. We know it's not very good. We know it, they don't really have access to the health care that they need. And then people will say, oh, well, we need to expand, expand Medicare or Medicaid, all this stuff. It's like, no, 
The system is broke. It doesn't work. You don't pour more money into a broken system. You fix the system. You correct the problems so you can move forward or you completely scrap it and find something that does work. Like I mean, I'm a capitalist Republican saying this. I would not mind at all. I would be in favor of every single federal worker or state worker be someone that has been pulled off of a social welfare program, give them a great job, have excellent health care benefits. That way they can get back on their feet. Because, you know, these social welfare programs where it's Medicare, Medicaid, Sooner Care, WIC, disability, I mean, all, I mean I'm probably missing out on several of them, like food stamps. But um, I can't think of all of them. But here's the thing. I've never met someone that was on one of those social welfare programs that actually – got helped and got put back on their feet. You know, it actually helped them get back on their feet and now they're doing better than they were before. I've never met anyone that has done that. They've always been worse off than before because they were put on a social welfare program. It's really sad. So instead of having a better life, they actually have a worse life and then they're trying to get out of that hole. They're they're trying to get a better job, but It can be very tough when you're coming off of a social welfare program. Because I think one of the problems is, and, I, and you're this, I'll close with this, I think one of the problems with social welfare programs is that they're trying to find work, but they're trying to make sure they don't have a lapse in pay. So they're trying to make sure they get their government check until they get their first paycheck. There's a gap there. I don't know why, but there is. And so my concern would be how are they supposed to provide for themselves in that gap? Because they still need access to food, water, and shelter, regardless of whether they are on a social welfare program or they just got hired. So a lot of people that are on social welfare programs are very scared sometimes when it, when it comes to getting back into the private sector and getting back on their feet into a job because they risk losing all their social welfare benefits. which haven't really helped them at all. It's just been a band-aid for a gaping wound when they really need to get back out there, get back into the private sector, get a really good paying job, but that the problem is that gap is my understanding of it. That's what really scares people and I don't blame them on that. So I think that when it comes to things like that, we really need to do a better job of helping people get back on their feet. and also help them get good paying jobs and but not do it through unions cuz unions are kind of too bossy in my opinion and what they do is they try and put a stranglehold on the american economy we've seen that with usps we've seen that with the longshoremen i'm trying to think of another one that came to mind oh we've seen that with teachers unions um they didn't necessarily affect the economy directly but they didn't show up to work to teach people's kids So then those kids were behind on their schoolwork. Well, whose fault is that? The teachers. So if it was me, I would not utilize labor unions to get people back to work. Because if anything, I think sometimes labor unions teach people to be defiant. And people don't need help being defiant. They need help being a good worker. They need help practicing inclusivism, you know, being inclusive. Because I feel like these labor unions You know, just think about whenever they go on strike and they call temporary workers that are doing their jobs, they call them scabs. 
Well, is that being inclusive? Is that being kind? Is that being genuine? No, it's not. I mean, it's not even really acting American. I think it's being really hurtful, and I think it's wrong to do that, because I don't think our founding fathers would be okay with that, because they were not in favor of any kind of tyrannical groups or power or authority trying to take over other people or manipulate markets or jobs or taxes, and that's what some labor unions do. So I don't think they would necessarily be in favor of them at all, considering how they have behaved. I think they would tell them to suck it up and get back to work, and if you don't like your work, go into a different occupation. Because that's what people in non-union jobs do. Like, if I don't like my job, I go get a different job. I don't march into my boss's office and throw a hissy fit, and then I don't pick it in front of their house or in front of their place of business. All they would do is just fire me. But unions, they, they tend to get away with a lot that, the, that regular, everyday workers cannot ever get away with, ever. So I think it's, I think it's one of those things we, we need to practice being good, calm people and really enjoy our work, even if it's tough. Find something that is actually enjoyable and that you like about your job. And if you don't like anything about your job, then that means you need to switch occupations and there's nothing wrong with that. And the great thing about the United States is that we have so many jobs and occupations and professions to pick from. I mean, technically the world is your oyster, so go for it. But anyway, I will go ahead and end this podcast because it's going over a little 40 minutes. But until next time, I pray that you're happy, healthy, and whole. So have a good day and a good week. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.